Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. You are listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations, where business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology to create a better workplace for today and tomorrow. This radio show and podcast is brought to you by the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. We're your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. Jen, first, uh, good to see you. Hello, nice to see you as well. I am so excited, I know we both are, to welcome Lisa Glenn Nobles, Operation Navigator for Journey Edge. And we don't typically do this, but I just have to start because Lisa's bio is just amazing. So I'm going to read it to you so we can get to know Lisa a little bit better. Um, Lisa is a 50s housewife by interest and an intersexual feminist by passion. Lisa is just as likely to be whipping up a strawberry jalapeno preserves as crafting a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging action plan for Journey It. Her professional passions include building systems, creating strong cultures that value humans over profits, and making Slack a fun place to be. When she's not working on operations at Journey It, she can be found hiking the Phoenix Mountain Preserve, binge-watching Queer Eye while having a good cry. Oh, me too. Planning her next international trip uh, post-COVID, South America, Japan, Kazakhstan, and New Zealand are on the shortlist. Hanging out with her husband and throwing the ball to her Labrador clearance or cuddling with her ragdoll cat, Honey. That is an amazing bio. And I feel like I've learned so much about you, more than even when we worked in the same space together. So thank you, Lisa, and, and welcome to the show. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. I, I feel right at home because as Jennifer said, I used to work at Max 6. I think I might be behind Kyle in that picture. I'm pretty sure because I was at the, the official lunch. So this just feels like good times. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's so awesome to reconnect. We do miss having you in the space, but it's been fun to follow your journey, you know, like what we all do on, on LinkedIn or, or social media to, to see what Lisa's up to. But we also we like to start the show with going all the way back. So if you could start with where you grew up and then how you got from there to where you are today. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, this is a complicated question for me because people always ask where I'm from. And I've actually lived in Phoenix longer than I've lived anywhere, but only during my adult life. So we'll go on the highlights version. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, my Dad is a university administrator, so kind of like the military, you never get promoted internally, you always have to move. So we went on a tour of the Southeast. Uh, We did Florence, Alabama, Springfield, Missouri, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My parents moved back to Athens, Alabama while I was in college. I made a trip to South Africa after college for a year. Now my folks are in Victoria, Texas, and I have lived in Phoenix for 13 years. Yeah. So it's officially home. Wow. That is quite the journey. We've talked about this with a couple other guests who have a similar experience of moving around the country. How is like the culture shift or change from like the Southeast to moving to Arizona? Like what was your experience like? Yeah, it's, it's very different. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest there. Uh, one very clear uh, difference is the food. <laughs> the health culture in general. So, you know, when I go into the doctor and I give like my family's pre-existing conditions, I'm always like, but I'm from the South. 
so it's okay. I don't eat like that. It's going to be all right. Um, but also, you know, the difference in sort of being in the middle of the Bible Belt versus being on the West Coast, very different. Um, and then we also used to joke that Birmingham got trends about 10 years after the rest of the country. And so when I moved out here, like, I swear to you, everyone thought that I was like dressing like somebody's grandma. And it was just because I was like 10 years behind. And we're going to hope that now that is not where I still am. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like that's coming back to be a thing. I'm kind of embracing the grandma vibes these days. Um, the grandma vibes and the blossom vibes. Like I feel like I'm on an episode of blossom all the time, the high waisted jeans, the, uh, sunflower dresses. Yeah. I, I liked it then. I'm not so sure that I can handle it now in my, uh, in my old age. (laughs) Yeah. I have to think about that for a minute. Yeah. I'm not so sure either. Yeah. What about, what about South Africa? What was that like? Yeah, gosh. Okay, so I, I moved to South Africa as a Rotary Scholar, um, which at the time was a program that the Rotary Clubs offered to send students, um, postgraduate, across the world to sort of study and also just be a cultural ambassador um, and have some great experiences. So I love, love, love South Africa. It is easily one of my favorite places in the world. I actually was just looking at my camera favorites and I was there four years ago today. So had an extra visit, but I got a host family who became kind of my second family. I got to live in the dorms in a South African university, uh, which was incredible and made lifelong friends that I still keep in touch with. Found my new favorite food, which is ostrich. Um, Ostriches like the new red meat. It's amazing. Uh, and we can't really get it here very much. You can go down to the ostrich farm, um, but you can only buy the eggs. Oh yeah. I was wondering, cause the, the one between here and Tucson, right? The ostrich farm. Yeah. And then I, I went to the ostrich festival in Chandler thinking like, here is my chance, <laughs> but they only sell ostrich burgers. And you kind of start to wonder at the point that it's on a burger, like, all right, guys, is it really ostrich? Because that would be very cost prohibitive. Yeah. What is like, what does it taste like? Like, is it? It's, com- a, it's a leaner red meat. So it's like a really amazing lean cut of steak. Huh. Now I'm interested. I, I wouldn't think I would like ostrich, but maybe I should just. You might like it. It's surprising. You never know what to run into when you're traveling. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to go to South Africa to find some. I like it much better than I liked any of the other, like, what we would call strange South African foods, right? Like, I had zebra, and I had warthog, and I had kudu, and all of them are fine, but but ostrich was like, whoa, okay, like, this should be a thing worldwide. <laughs> so cool. So take us kind of through your professional journey, because, you know, when you met Kyle and I, you were working for New Global Citizens, and um, I, I see a theme through all of the, your body of work. I'm sure you see many themes. Um, so could you kind of take us through your background professionally and then up to today where you are today? Sure. I'm glad you can see a theme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I either get people who say like, oh yeah, I see what you're doing, or like, what the heck is your resume? <laughs> So I actually started out as a teacher. That's how I came out to Phoenix. I was a member of Teach for America. Um, I wanted to teach 
elementary school and I got to teach sixth grade at Griffith Elementary for two years and loved the experience of teaching, but really struggled with the realities of teaching. So like uh, my first year, I had 45 students in my class for the first couple of months. Uh, yeah, and you have that look on your face because <laughs> the state average uh, is required to be 36 or below. Um, but at the time, we had the structured English immersion classes, which were for ESL students. The average included those classes. So I had 45, my neighbor teacher had 45, and our SEI teacher had 18. Legal. We did finally hire another teacher, but I think back to those days and like trying to make notes in 45 journals in one afternoon, I was so incredibly overwhelmed. It was more than I could possibly handle. And I think frankly, more than most people can handle. Teachers are angels. And I think all parents have realized that this year of all years. And so, you know, I started to really think about, do I want to do this long-term? Um, I took a brief move to the Bay Area and thought, well, let's see what education looks like here and really determined, yep, this is not going to be something that I can do lifelong. It's just not, I, uh, as a typical operations professional, I am highly opinionated about how things should be done right and highly anxious if they're done wrong. <laughs> and so that doesn't work so well in the classroom. And so I, I took a brief break and got a cool nine to five working for a recruiting company and learned a lot of the operations standards that I still get to use now. Um, and then, as you said, I transitioned back to Arizona to work at New Global Citizens, um, which was at the time a global education nonprofit. So writing content and supporting teachers to implement all kinds of projects from, you know, what is the conditional probability of being affected by a landmine in Laos to in the U.S., right? Um, love, love, loved it. Um, unfortunately, the nonprofit did end up merging with another nonprofit. And so at that point, I uh, changed roles to a position at Arizona State, working with the um, Baobab Lifetime Learning Initiative, which is supporting MasterCard Foundation scholars, all your listeners are now thinking, yeah, okay, I totally understand why she said this doesn't make sense. <laughs> no. um, so the MasterCard Foundation supports Sub-Saharan African students to study worldwide. ASU is one of those institutions. And we actually work to create a bespoke social learning app for them. So I like to describe it as if LinkedIn, Facebook, and Khan Academy had a baby, it would be Baobab. And if it was like supposed to be African, all of that with African designs <laughs> and loved being in that role. I got to travel. So that was why I was in South Africa four years ago, got to um, work with leaders in Ghana and in Kenya. Then I realized I wanted a little bit more local space. And so I became the executive director of Cahoots Foundation, um, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with and served there for two years, and then made the move to a for-profit, which had been in the back of my mind for a while. So as I was thinking about transitioning, it really went from supporting teachers and learners to supporting business owners to how could I actually support business owners and learners. So um, Jennifer, like my... <laughs> 
my areas that I tell people when they're like, what do you specialize in are sort of operations, ed tech, and then international um, education. So there is a theme, it has been intentional, but not everybody always knows that. (laughs) Right. And you might not know that at the time, right? But I think like what drives us and motivates us comes through like hindsight as you're looking back. And I think as far as I, as long as I've known you, you're, you're always focused on the education piece, being a learner yourself and figuring out how you can educate others, but also this like passion to help and serve people and make life better. Um, so those are the themes that I have always, it's always made sense to me. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. The next time I have some like random relatives say like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm just to be like, I have a friend, if you could just <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I mean, and also I think that you are a great case study for like the world has changed and evolved and working at one place for your entire career is just not a thing anymore. And look at all the different unique experiences and perspective that you're able to bring. I was, maybe because we haven't been able to travel for so long, but I was just in my mind traveling to all these places that you're going and living vicariously through you. Yeah, you get a lot that way. And and I've always found that even if I didn't realize what the next step would be, like that role really did prepare me for whatever the next step is. Um, And now I get to look at the lens of adult learning through my lenses of international and and youth learning, which really actually has a lot of applicable lessons. So cool. So tell us a little bit about JourneyEdge and your role there. Yeah, so JourneyEdge is a startup in the Phoenix community. We uh, began in 2018. We are led by the illustrious Jonathan Cottrell. He'd be embarrassed that I'm even mentioning his name, but um, I think it's worth repeating because anybody who's worked with Jonathan knows that he doesn't spend time on something that isn't awesome. So JourneyEdge is a learning experience personalization platform, and I'll explain what that means because (laughs) if I don't tell you, you'll just think I'm making it up. (laughs) Um, So typically, if you go into any company that is a large scale, um, you'll have some sort of training to do, right? And most of us are used to it being like either click, 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 or sit in a room for hours on end and listen to somebody tell you about the fire safety protocol and the benefits package. It's never exciting. Um, And our goal is to fix that because as you said, like the world is changing a ton And we are no longer going to have people in the same role forever. They are going to constantly have to upskill and change what they know and refine what they know. And we need learning management systems that will allow for that, but in a fun way and in a human way. Um, So we really work on how do you make training, take it from a one size fits all to a one size fits you. Hmm. Wow, so that is. Uh, what does that look like? What could that look like? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What does fun learning look like, and what could it look like for me? Yeah, good question. So, first of all, we take personalization really seriously, and you'll probably notice that as I talk about other topics at JourneyEdge. We are personalization fiends. We recognize that humans are individuals, even this is shocking when they go to work. remain individuals at work. They take their whole selves with them to work. And so we want to sort of honor that they are their whole self. 
There are a couple of ways that we can do that. And I'll talk to you about the ways we can do it now versus the ways we envision the product going. But essentially right now we can create a custom learning space. So let's say Max 6 was going to use it, right? It would be black and red. It would have all kinds of cool, really graphic lines. And it would have content that's specific to the company, but also content modules and even lines of of text that are specific to the learner. So um, some just sort of fun examples are like, Kyle, what's your favorite fruit? Oh, man, caught me off guard. Uh, (laughs) He's like, I'm supposed to be asking the questions here. (laughs) How about a peach? Okay, so um, we actually have the option that anytime somebody is learning and there's an example that needs a fruit, you can type in your favorite fruit and from then on it will always remember it and it will talk about peaches from then on. Um, Remembers your name, it remembers your favorite color, etc. So those are really simple examples, but there's a lot of brain research that shows that that's engaging and that's why your high school teachers probably wrote quizzes with your names in them from time to time because it's actually good to keep your interest. But the other thing that that we offer is being able to personalize the learning to the kind of learner and their role. So for example, you have a large company, they work in Detroit and in Miami, right? And the janitor in Miami needs really different information than the product developer in Detroit. And so as you're going through the content, it will know that you're the product developer in Detroit and give you Detroit-based examples, give you product information. It'll feed you exactly the information you need to get in your role. And then in the long run, we're envisioning it um, so that you could share your learning preferences. So let's say you hate watching videos. You're the 0.1% of the U.S. that doesn't want to learn with a video. You could say, I hate watching videos and we will never give you one again. We could also use AI to be able to say, okay, Kyle has looked at this content and this other module. He probably wants to look at this third module next. So think of it as kind of like YouTube on steroids, right? Like if everything you got in your next play on YouTube or Netflix was actually something you wanted um, and something relevant to you, (laughs) that's what it would look like. And we're really, you know, working to make that content fun. We also have a whole group of learning experience developers and designers who can actually create those amazing learning experiences with a company. So it's not just somebody's like boss writing down standard operating procedures. Yeah, that's my question. So like for a company to adopt your, like your system, like what does that look like? Because it, it seems like it would be a lot, but it feels like you have a system for that. Yeah, so we do. Um, Most large companies have some sort of training already, right? It's very common that they're using an LMS that exists and they want it to just be a little more special. Um, Or perhaps they're coming in brand new, but they have a really strong culture Mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that that shines through in their training. So we have a spectrum of options. You can do anything from just buying the platform um, and uploading content and information to actually working with our learning experience designers to create a custom course for your company. 
Um, and that's been the really exciting piece because a lot of companies that are in that sort of middle range don't hire an L&D person full-time, right? And actually, if you've ever priced it out, it's really expensive to hire a contract L&D person. And so our team can take existing resources, can begin to tailor them, and within a month or so, give you an entire library of courses. We work with local video production folks, all kinds of options so that you can customize it to the way you want. And then we give each of our customers uh, what we call a customer guide. Obviously, journeyage, we're very focused on the journey metaphor. So you get a guide to help you through, make sure that your learners are finding what they need, make sure that you don't have any questions um, and support you as, as you go forward. So there's sort of all of those options depending on where the company is at the moment. Super cool. I have so many thoughts running through my head and it's like, feels like very chaotic in my brain. Um, I have sat through many um, non-fun trainings. Um, I don't believe that. That, was- <laughs> that are just um, terrible. But I think about, um, you know, the shifts that we've had in the last year with COVID and everything and, and the way that work is evolving and changing. And um, Kyle and I have had many conversations and we're thinking about like how to build community and connection, because one of the reasons we named this the future of work, water cooler conversations, because that's the piece that we're missing, right? That water cooler, organic culture building, trust building moment. Um, So as more people are are virtual, and I think that that trend probably will continue, I would think that there's an important piece here that Journeyage would play to help kind of instill that culture when you're not in the office necessarily every day. So kind of talk to us about like the importance of the onboarding experience for for new employees and and how Journeyage plays a role in that. Absolutely. So probably our number one use case that companies come to us for is like, I need to onboard a bunch of people. They either already were or suddenly are all remote. I'm not going to see them. I can't put them in a room. There aren't enough masks. There's not enough ventilation. What do I do? And um, so we really take companies through the onboarding experience. And and we've built it out um, internally to be a 30-day experience. And for most companies, the idea of onboarding for 30 days is like, wait, what? Like onboarding is like day one. And I give you all the papers and you sign them and then you start working tomorrow. And I don't know if you all have had experiences like me, but usually that led me to like day three, not having anything to do and trying not to actively scroll on Facebook. I'm showing my age here. TikTok. Totally on TikTok. Um, <laughs> but, you know, trying not to like just waste my time because I didn't know what to do yet, right? You're not ready for your role on day two most of the time. And so we really build it out to be an entire experience. And, and that's part of what we help with. So I'll speak a little bit to what we do for onboarding and then how we help other companies do this. And and the reason that we talk about what we do first is we want to be a culture first company and we want to help set those culture guidelines for the market, right? So instead of, as is typical, right, you come to work and you try to fit into your cubicle, um, we, as I said, recognize that everybody's a human and an individual when they come to work. And so we want to understand the learning process isn't always linear 
And it certainly doesn't happen in two days. <laughs> so we start out by um, giving our new employees a tribe guide. And their tribe guide is just somebody on the team who has been there before, is not their direct report, probably isn't even in their business unit. And they're there to answer questions. So they'll set up a call before the first day or on the first day to say welcome and then to answer any questions they might have, right? Like it is really easy to get to a job. Like you're accepting a job and you're like, okay, but like, what is my boss really like? <laughs> or, well, they say that you have unlimited PTO, but what does that actually mean? Do you really get unlimited PTO? So that's a chance for those um, new hires to ask those questions. And it really um, begins to build that belonging early on. And we send an email. I mean, you think the bio's fun? Like we send an email that's like, what's your favorite color? If you could be a Muppet, what Muppet would you be? Like all kinds of information so that you can just start to connect with someone. After that, we have a full week by week process for how to engage a person in the culture, how to engage them in the company, how to engage them in their role, and then how to get them actually creating value, right? Because you don't want to keep them in onboarding forever. And of course, all they're doing for four weeks is not clicking through a, a learning system. But this gives them something every day that's getting them further on. So for example, in our first week, we talk about the culture of Journeyage and we share everything about how we do culture at Journeyage. So I brought my little, we have our passport with our values. If I can find that page, we call them signposts. And we go through each of the signposts and give examples. We talk about how to live out those values. We also talk about how we recognize each other. So you can see I actually have passport stamps. We have a physical stamp that's made for each person. Mine has a little stegosaurus on it because that's my emoji. Um, one of the tribe guide questions is if you could be any emoji, what would you be? <laughs> and so we get a, a special stamp. And in the first week, um, our field guide talks about when should you give somebody a stamp? How do you display values like move forward fast or pursue the horizon? Um, and then really talks about why our culture is so important to our company. When we've built out examples like that for customers, it's been really similar, but it's their culture, right? So they can make it whatever they want. A really good example is um, AGK Restaurants. They're one of the largest McDonald's uh, franchisees, franchisors. I always mix it up and I should not. Franchisors in <laughs> Arizona. And they have a really strong um, sort of love-driven culture. And so their onboarding talks a lot about how you would identify that and how you would exemplify it. Um, then in the second week, we talk a lot about the company, our strategy, really digging into what are the things you would need to know about journeyage itself and not just about your role in order to have full context. And then in the third week, it really is, okay, so you're an operations navigator. What does that actually mean? What are your responsibilities? What do you have to do? And throughout that, the tribe guide and the manager are checking in. So we do a lot to really create a system around onboarding instead of just a Google Doc with a list of the people you're going to talk to and some documents to sign. <laughs> um, and, and that's twofold. One is that we don't get to create culture on a video screen very easily, 
right? And so if there's not some way to walk you through that, it's pretty hard. But it's also because that getting a job offer and starting a new job is a flashbulb moment for most people, right? Like you remember starting your job. So why wouldn't you want to start it with something that's really engaging and exciting and, you know, shares as much as possible about the company so that your memory isn't sitting and scrolling through Facebook awkwardly while you waited for your boss to come back from a meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what everything you're saying makes sense. To me, it sounds probably the gen, we're both nodding our heads in the right direction. Uh, and it seems like this is kind of where society's going, where business is going, that they would get the importance of this. But do you see people coming to you and they just get the value of having their culture uh, in their company? Or, I mean, it seems like you could have an easy case to sell to someone hey, here's what the quantifiable results are going to be if you have people more engaged with your culture, whether you care about this going in or not. I mean, it, I'm just curious what you're seeing out there. It seems like yeah. there's been a shift towards this. There's absolutely a shift toward it. And thank goodness we're seeing a lot of studies that show the benefit of building a really strong culture. We're also seeing a lot of stories that show the benefit of a strong onboarding. So, you know, you are, I'm going to mess up my statistics and we all know that 87% 0.5% of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, but I believe it's about a third of employees um, stay longer if there is a formal onboarding at their company. There's also There are also statistics around how impactful it is to have years of service celebrations, to have a culture that can actually be defined and spoken of. So there's been a lot of research that actually supports that you will be more profitable and you will maintain your employees longer if you do this. Certainly we still get, you know, some companies are like, eh, I don't need the culture stuff, just write it down. But for the most part, we really do see that that is important. And it has been a huge need during COVID that suddenly, you know, companies are saying like, how do I make sure that my new hires who I have never met in person are the kind of humans I want working for me. And, you know, I can say from onboarding with Journeyage in June of last year, when no one was going anywhere in person, I didn't meet anyone until four months later. And I still felt really connected to the culture. And, and that um, onboarding process was a big piece of it. So, and, and, you know, another piece of it is we don't just want to sell our product, although, of course, we do, right? But we also want to sell what our culture is because we believe it's what others should have. And we our mission is to co-create the world's most transformative employee experience. So that's really what we want to sell. And if we sell our product, that helps us pay the bills to keep going. Yeah, I love listening and talking to companies that have such big purpose and mission, you know, of course, that's what we're all about at Max 6 as well. And so it's, it's, it is a little refreshing to get connected with people who get it because I do think the shift is happening. Um, but to Kyle's point, there are some, some holdouts <laughs> that, that, that takes some convincing, but, uh, eventually, um, we'll all get there. So speaking about your culture and your values, um, you have a mission statement to love and learn. So what does that really mean from a business perspective? Sure. So this is truly why I joined the company. 
I don't know if any of you have noticed, but we're kind of in a rough season politically and culturally in the U.S. I know it's such a surprise. And so as I was, you know, interviewing, I immediately, Jonathan said, you know, our goal is to love and learn. And I was like, tell me more, (laughs) because I feel so strongly that that's the thing that none of us are doing right now. We are not responding lovingly. We're not trying to learn from each other. We're just saying, screw you. I'm right. You're wrong. And I'm going to stand in my corner with my arms crossed. And so, you know, we really are working at Journeyage to make sure that if nothing else, if we are not profitable, if we never make it, that everyone we encounter, we have loved and we have learned from. And that sounds real mushy. I get it. There are a lot of folks who are like, ooh, that is a little too soft for me. But when you think about it from a business perspective, when are the worst situations experienced? They're either that somebody isn't treating you the way you would want to be treated mm-hmm. or that they're not listening to you, right? That, that really does encompass pretty much every challenge in a business context. So if we really are trying to love other people the way that we want to be loved and supported, and we're trying to learn from them consistently, we will only improve our business. And so we really, I mean, we do a lot to ensure that. I mean, we talk about love a lot at work, which is probably not common for a lot of people, Um, but that's very normal for us is like, do you feel loved? Do you feel cared for? And how can we make our customers feel loved and cared for? How can we make those folks who work with us feel loved and cared for? And then additionally, how do we have a learner spirit all the time, right? And you mentioned earlier, like, I am always learning. I love, love, love learning. That's why I love traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we do things like give our employees an Audible subscription and give them a monthly learning stipend that they can use to learn anything. So I'm using mine to go to ballet class. Mm -hmm. Um, We really want our folks to constantly be learning because we recognize that if you're learning and implementing what you learn, you move at 10x the speed. So, If we do nothing else, (laughs) we want to make sure that everybody feels that they were loved and that we learned with and from them. You are speaking our language. One of the max six values is always learning, always teaching. And Kyle is always talking about love and love in business. Um, Another value is love people. I was just thinking about that. We're we're aligned for sure. Yeah. And I I think about like a lot of the training that I do about emotional intelligence and communication and all of these things. Sometimes I get um, pushed back that, oh, you know, this, this is too soft or mushy or why do I need this? But when I always go back to the impact that I personally want to make and what I know is like, first and foremost, we're all human. And there are some things that are similar to all of us. And we need exactly what you said, Lisa. We need to feel valued. We need to feel heard. We need to feel understood. And so if we ignore those pieces in business, we are doing a great detriment to our long-term goals. And so if nothing else, it just feels great to have an ally. (laughs) (laughs) We will will lead the parade with you, promise. Um, Because we we are on very, very similar paths. So you touched on a, a little bit a while ago, but I, it was, it's always an interesting thing for me. So you, a lot of large portion of your career, you were in the nonprofit world and then you jumped back to for-profit. How would, what was that like for you? And 
what was like the deciding factor there? And is there a difference for you? Um, or is it really, you know, it's the purpose, which I guess I'm kind of half answering your question. So I'll stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I probably already know your answer. Um, I, you know, it's twofold. One was I, so I am the first person in my family to ever work for a for-profit business. Um, so it's a little bit different and I've actually really enjoyed it. But the reason I started thinking about it was I, I got into the nonprofit space and I, I loved it and I would never consider not doing it again. But I started to realize that so many of the biggest challenges in the world can only be solved at business scale right? So if we talk about global warming and climate change, whichever of the terms makes you the happiest, that is going to be solved by corporate entities. It is because they right now account for (laughs) the largest carbon emissions, the most pollution, et cetera. Um, So if we're really looking at these big global problems, they're going to be solved at corporate scale. Um, the other was, I always kind of have a chip on my shoulder and somebody told me at one point, like, oh, in an interview, you've been in the nonprofit space. I don't know if you could keep up with the pace here. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I got it. I'll, I'll be there. (laughs) So is it different somewhat? It is different in resources for sure. There's no question there. In terms of mindset, I think it has to be the same, right? If you run a, a functional nonprofit, it is making a profit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you need it to continue generating a profit in order to continue to be in business. Now, granted, some of that money comes from people just giving it to you, not paying for services. But in many nonprofits like Goodwill, it is entirely fee-for-service, right? They are just receiving money for a thing. And so I think there's a lot of confusion there. I do think that there is so much potential for business to do good in the world. And I want to see that realized. And so when I talked to Jonathan about this role and really heard about, you know, the culture space that Journey Age is in, I, I thought like this, there couldn't be a more perfect place. It's interesting as you're talking about uh, the opportunity for business to really play a role in solving issues that we have as a society, locally, globally, whatever that is. And with uh, with something like Journey Edge, what you're talking about, I mean, culture, aligned values, getting behind a common purpose, understanding of each other, like these aren't just business things, right? You brought up that we're in a weird at best um, (laughs) climate right now. I mean, I just see such potential for these concepts uh, in general. Uh, I mean, business is a slam dunk. It's a contained group of people that are all behind the same purpose and have agreed to be there. But everything you're talking about seems to have such bigger potential impacts. I mean, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I have always loved that, that Jonathan Cottrell has said is like, look, my biggest goals in life, the things I think about 10 and 20 and 30 and even 40 years down the road, none of them involve my business. None of them. I think about being a grandfather. I think about, you know, 
And I think for most of us, that's the case. Um, we just went on a senior leadership retreat last weekend of Flagstaff. It was gorgeous. There was snow. We like valley rats stayed inside the entire time and complained about it being cold. And um, one of the things we did was we went around the table and we talked about our top memory from 2020. Like what was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? And I mean, 2020 was a dumpster fire. So there weren't a whole lot of exciting things. And every single person shared time that they had spent with their family. Every person. And these are people who had major wins last year, who could have, you know, I joked, I was like, well, I got an okay job last year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, other than that, it was like, I talked about my nephew setting the table for Thanksgiving with his um, Mr. Potato Head figures, right? Like, those are the things that really matter to people. And these big issues are the things that really matter to people. And business is supposed to be a conduit for that. It's not supposed to become your whole life. Now, granted, I think about Journey Engine, I think about our business like a lot of the time. And a lot of times I'm sitting at home and, you know, we're supposed to be watching Master Chef on TV. And I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. I could totally use that. But business is supposed to be a catalyst for good. It's not supposed to be a way for all of us to waste eight to 10 hours a day every day. If we really thought that that was the case, that would be incredibly depressing. <laughs> like, uh, we were talking about uh, belonging and inclusion in our most recent webinar. And one of the super goofy things we do is um, we write up a review of our webinar from the perspective of one of our pets. <laughs> and my, my cat, Honey, um, responded to the webinar and her response was, I have always belonged in every room I walk into. Um, and therefore I cannot understand why someone would not, would want to spend every day in a place that they don't belong. Like, why would you do that to yourself? So, you know, it's such a, an important thing that we see this sea change and we start to say like, you know what, I want to make a difference in the world. And so I'm going to align myself with a company that's doing that. And that can be simple, right? Like, I did not say to myself, I want to be at a company that makes an awesome LMS solution, right? I do love learning and that's important to me, but what I'm passionate about is transforming the employee experience. And that's what Journeyage wants to do. So, you know, it's really finding that right alignment. Yeah. So I have an idea for you. I don't know if you guys already have this in your pipeline, but, and it might be a terrible idea. Um, but when we were talking about belonging, <laughs> what if, brought this into the education setting to like a classroom, like where you set your classroom culture and values and shared experience to create the belonging experience for the school year. That'd be awesome because those are all the things that we want for our children in a classroom is to find that piece of belonging. It is. And you know, it's funny that like that really is what I resonate with the most because of my teaching experience, right? Like I know how important it is for somebody to feel safe before they can learn. And you do all kinds of, you know, research on that in an education space. Like you have to be fed, you have to be rested, and you have to feel safe in order to learn. And then we, you know, graduate college and get a job and forget about it. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing is for all employees, right? They have to feel 
they have to be rested, they have to be fed, they have to feel safe for their their jobs as well. So it like, yeah, to your point, it never goes away. Um, we just forget about it. And I think, you know, belonging is so important. And I think Brian Moore always talks about if you have one best friend at work, you're I'm gonna totally butcher the statistic, but it's you're much more likely yeah. to be engaged because yeah. you have that friend or connection. Um so it's important and powerful. Yeah. And I was so excited to see that you guys interviewed Brian last week. So we used Anthem in several of our sessions and it's been amazing. So plug for Brian. Oh, awesome. We loved using the Anthem process and part of it is building that belonging, right? So we got to have conversations about like, why is this your favorite song? And why did it matter to you in high school when you heard this and it reminded you of, you know, whatever, you get to know people on such a deeper level. And that's so key for belonging is having that, not just collegial connection, but like truly valuing the person as a human. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I was so glad to interview Ryan as well. Cause that like, like your platform and his platform, it's, um, tr- you can use it even in the middle of a pandemic, which who would have thought when everyone was building their businesses that, um, yes. that would have to be the case. So what a business changer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But if you were to look back at the experiences that you've had, and there was a person that's just graduating college or just coming out of high school, what career advice would you give to that young person? Career advice. Let's see. Well, I am very much of the do what you love approach and not everybody is that way. I am just not a highly money motivated person. So that's reality for me. So my, my typical advice is usually figure out where you are on that scale and act accordingly, right? So if you are highly money motivated and you know that, please don't become a teacher. You're going to be miserable. If you are highly purpose oriented, please do not go be a consultant somewhere. You're going to be miserable and you're going to spend 80 hours a week just like banging your head against a desk and thinking about which kind of, you know, staple would save the most money. So I think that's a big piece. The other is the best, the biggest skill I think that people need right now is the ability to change. And that sounds really easy and obvious, but, um, One of the things that moving so much as a kid taught me was how to change. You know, I was in a different school, in a different classroom, in a different city, in a different state, and I had to just pick up on that. Um, And it has been an incredible gift to me in the long run, although I tortured my parents at the time. Um, I still tell them they ruined my high school life. But, you know, it, I think the ability to change and to do so cautiously, but optimistically is just incredibly important. That's, that is such great advice. I, I'll take it myself. I think, you know, we're, I'll need a reminder right now. <laughs> change, is, change is hard. And um, the more that we're able to be like, Kyle, all last year was reminding me to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, and yeah. that is what that year 2020 taught us all. Um, but I do agree that change is so important and thinking that's a really good perspective. Your first point about thinking about where you are on that continuum, because I think so many people say, do what you love, but if what you love is, I don't know, painting 
baskets and right. you're very highly mo- money motivated, like that's not going to work out for you. Cause so that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I think you have to be honest with yourself. Like I want to spend time with my husband. I want to spend time with my extended family. I love cooking, but if I were a chef, I couldn't do those things, right? I'd be awake while they're asleep and they'd be asleep while I'm awake and that wouldn't go so well. So I think you have to be honest with yourself about who you are and what you want. And granted, you can tell somebody coming out of college that, and they'll probably figure it out in 10 years, much <laughs> like most of us did. <sighs> yes. That's- go, go through some of that much needed change and work. <laughs> Good. Well, we are almost out of time, but we want to ask you our questions that we ask. You got to get a pen um, that we ask every guest. We're keeping the list. Ooh. No pressure. Um, but Kyle's writing down your answer. <laughs> yeah. It'll be captured forever. Um, Kyle, if you want to start. I'm going to ask two questions. And the first one is one that I always ask. And the second one, I'm picking up on uh, something you just said. And I'm going to ask you about that too. So my first question is, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, that's easy. Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck. And my second question, because you said you love to cook, is what is one of your favorite things to cook? Oh, homemade pasta. Any kind, don't care. I just want to get out the pasta machine and roll out the sheets of dough and experiment. I haven't rolled pasta out since I was maybe seven or eight years old and I you know what I'm back on board well that the pandemic's a great time for it because you've got time to do anything you want <laughs> it's true and, hey always learning always teaching it's about time to learn something new here culinary your kids probably need to learn how to make pasta too hey I'll tell you what just because it's interesting. I've been working with both of them, but in particular, my son, who's five, uh, learning to cook, and he loves it. And what really turned the page for him, I think, was I started to associate it with Legos. Like each one of these ingredients is like a different Lego piece that builds on the other one. And if we're cooking, you know, there's cooking whatever for dinner, but if we're cooking something from a box, it's just like the instructions that you follow. It was just fascinating to see the light bulb go off and the learning happen as opposed to, oh, dad's making me do this with him because he thinks it's fun. And and it really just changed a completely different thing. I'm sure that both of them love to make pasta. Yeah, it's a great example of learning experience personalization too. Like you knew his learning style, you knew what he was interested in. And as a result, he was like, yeah, dude, that is cool. Like dad actually has some good ideas. <laughs> There we go. Well, we see Legos in your next. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kyle will uh, live on forever. Exactly. <laughs> so my question is, um, what is one lesson that you learned in 2020 or during the pandemic that you plan to take with you and carry forward forever? Mm-hmm. You know, I Uh, my husband teases me that I am definitely a social butterfly. I would like to have plans every night of the week. And obviously um, that has not been an option during 2020, unless I want to be on another Zoom call, which I totally do not. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was like remembering to take time 
And to slow down and only do the things that are necessary and the things that you really like and let the rest go. It's not important if I've made it to every event in the Valley, like actually no one cares. (laughs) So, um, you know, I was always like, I need to go make an appearance. And my husband was like an appearance. What's the point of that? So, you know, really recognizing what's important and doing that and just that, um, I highly recommend, I actually have it right here, uh, the book Essentialism. Oh, that's so good. Totally helping me to do that. Um, I'm actually doing the Essentialism 21 day challenge right now. So that's my 2020 takeaway and so far the 2021 takeaway too, but hopefully things will change. Yeah, that is, that book is amazing. That I really enjoyed that book. Um, but I also thought about, because our schedules, especially with my three kids, like every day there would be something and we were so busy and like there was no time between things. And then when everything stopped, it was like, oh my gosh, we can breathe. And now I've been intentionally adding back the pieces that I really want um, and not having to worry about um, all the other stuff because literally no one else cares. Like no one's like yeah. not missing. So yeah. it, you actually don't look back and think, man, I didn't get to go to that one thing for 20 minutes. Like, and, and I am not a parent, but having been a teacher, I can pretty much guarantee your kids don't miss that either. No, they don't. Although they do, they are missing. Well, they get to go to school now, so that's good, but they're, they're, they were missing some social interaction, oh, but yeah, that, that has been the hardest piece for sure. Yeah. But the running around, no, none of us miss that. No, nobody needs extra time in the minivan. <laughs> yes, exactly. How did you know? <laughs> you know, I just, I made a basic calculation and said minivan makes sense here. <laughs> uh, Kyle, so funny story. Kyle and I have been friends for over 10 years. And so we knew each other before. Well, I knew Kyle right when he was getting married, but he knew me before I got married, before I had kids, any of that stuff. And we always joked. And he said, if you ever get a minivan, we're not friends anymore. We cannot be friends. And the day I drove up to Max X in my minivan, I was like, oh no, Kyle, this is the end of Kyle and I. But thankfully, we are still friends. Yeah. You always said you were going to get a minivan. So only one of us fulfilled our long-term promise because we are still friends. Yes. <laughs> that is true. I, I did swear off the minivan, but it is so practical. You just can't. You know, I realize the older I get that there were reasons our parents did these things and uh, they did know what they were talking about, but man, it's painful. <laughs> I try not to tell them to their faces. Right. I just appreciate in my head and not tell them. <laughs> How sad. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, mom. You were totally right. But I can't tell you for the third time this week that you were right. That's just not going to work. <laughs> Maybe in a decade, I'll be able to share. Exactly. We'll wait for a really difficult day and then we'll be like, mom, I got to tell you, you were right about 17 times. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Otherwise, it's just more to hold over you. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are about out of time. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Um, We appreciate it. Can you tell everyone where they can connect with you or how to get in touch with Journeyage? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much. This was great. It's maybe we'll just make this, uh, you know, we'll have the Wednesday hangout and and have a Zoom call and talk about nothing. We'll have Seinfeld for Zoom calls. (laughs) If you want to get in touch with me, the best way is Lisa, L-I-S-A, at journeyage.com. 
Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Lisa Glenn Nobles. Yes, there are three N's in a row, lots of N's in my name. If you want to get in touch with JourneyEdge, you can check out our website, journeyedge.com. Um, or email me and I'll tell you all the things. We would love to have you. You can find us on all the, all the social needs um, at JourneyEdge and on Instagram. We're at JourneyEdgeX because somebody stole JourneyEdge and isn't using it. So if you want to report them on Instagram, please don't do that. That would be embarrassing. It's not loving. But um, JourneyEdge everywhere else. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations with your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. Each episode shines the spotlight on a business leader who is defining what a healthy and productive workplace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be a part of the conversation, schedule a visit of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, and connect with us at max6.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And now we're off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive.